Yep. All right. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, we're going to talk to my friend John Santiago. How's it going today? Hey, man, it's good. Good to be here. Good to meet you in person. You know, we, we yeah. caught up yesterday. <laughs> you saw me sitting in the hallway yeah. at, uh, here at the hotel, and uh, just nice to actually meet up in person because it's been a while since we did that podcast on my old podcast that yeah. um, you were gracious enough to share on your, your feed. So thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're at FinCon and people could probably hear a little bit of the background noise out there. So we're in the, uh, I don't know, do you call it, it's some kind of a meat market situation. They have all the booths over here. It's like the expo center. Expo, that's what Every you call conference it. has this, right? Where there's just like all the vendors set up and here it's like, it's so different compared to other conferences that I've been to Yeah. where they're explicitly saying, yeah, like just go and pitch yourself. Like yeah. get these deals, get this, get this business done here. And, <laughs> And other conferences, they're a bit more nuanced about yeah. it. It's just like, you know, go there, check out the vendors, you know, right. see. But they're here, like, I just attended the first time orientation, and yeah. that's what they were saying. Like, yeah, just, you know, put yourself out there, shoot your shot. <laughs> oh, really? That, yeah. that explains a lot. So we, we have topics for today. Don't worry. Uh, we are recording video, too. I'm not sure if people can see my, my feet, but uh, I did get some YouTube comments where people can see my feet, you know? <laughs> Uh, some people were very against it, but I know this is on Mile High Fi or or Doug Show on Mile High Fi. Okay. Yeah, sometimes uh, Carl and I show our feet. So even though some people didn't like it, <laughs> I know some people have a fetish for feet. <laughs> so I, I, can you guys see my feet in the frame here? No. All right, I'll have to check out my OnlyFans. You'll be able to <laughs> see the feet there. But hey, can yeah. I can I say something? You should check this out. This is totally random. I don't even know if you want to keep this in the podcast. <laughs> but there is a content creator who I interviewed on my show, yeah. my old show. You could check it out. It's the Video Craft Show. is presented by Video Husky. Uh, the show ended about a month and a half ago. But I interviewed this one creator. She's super big in like the costume niche. Yeah. Um, her name is Bernadette Banner. Okay. And she started in OnlyFans, but like with just like with historical context. And I think she posted, don't quote me on this, just have to like look this up for accuracy. <laughs> but I think she had posted like pictures or something of her in like Victorian stockings just to see like yeah. what, she, what she could do there. It was, it was not risque whatsoever because that's yeah. not the type of content that she does. But I thought it was just interesting that she, she started in OnlyFans and experimented it away from like the typical adult content that most people interesting do. yeah yeah i mean there's something for everyone so yes. yeah. i uh i don't remember what i was talking about before <laughs> but that's, bad, how, man, the, that's how the show yeah. that's how the show goes um yeah maybe I'll, I'll remember it later but john um like you said we saw each other in the hallway and like we had not met in person and yeah. i was walking back to my room and i was like i think i know that dude so i circled back and then we made the connection and everything so I had this booth reserved to record, but I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew it was going to work out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so thanks for joining me. Yeah. Who are you? Um, what do you do? Give us a little bit of a background, and then we'll talk a little bit about your old podcast and your work at Video Husky and a couple other things. You do a ton of traveling. You've actually done sort of slow travel slash move to other yes. countries. Yeah. Uh, digital nomad type stuff. Um, you moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting program. So I want to get into a lot of stuff. But yeah, if you got a 90 second intro, how do you how do you describe like who you are, what you do and stuff like that? Yeah. So basically, I, um, I work in content and in marketing. Um, 
So I, uh, I'm starting this new company, I guess you could say. I'm working with content creators to help them land brand partnerships. It's part of the reason why I'm here, shooting my shot. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. On behalf of other creators that I, that I work with. Um, I'm focusing with people who are in like finance, creators in like the finance niche, um, as well as sports. Um, I know a lot of travel creators as well, so that's kind of where my concentration is at this point. But yeah, that's basically what I'm doing at at this time is just kind of uh, cool. trying to help bridge that gap between creators and brands who obviously need to pitch their products and creators who have this you know this massive amount of ad inventory on their YouTube channels, their newsletters, their podcasts um, to help them find some synergy with each other. Okay. It's a big need. I know I get a ton of pitches multiple per Yeah, I day. hit you up with like the last company I work with too. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. That's also context is like I worked, I mentioned I worked in marketing. And so I was on the marketing brand side, like reaching out to creators, newsletters, YouTubers, podcasters, trying to figure out, hey, could I buy an ad and reach your audience? And how much would that cost? What would that look like? What What are the metrics? You know, what's for you? I was curious about like your open rate uh, for your newsletter, click through rate, and, and those kinds of things. Like right. very just like inside baseball on yeah. On, like the marketing side of stuff. And it's tough because like the pitches come, uh, but they're usually mistargeted uh, yeah. re really poorly. And, you know, some like the thing is you and I had a relationship before. So like we were able to talk through it and like figure out. And I, I think I told you, I was like, it's not a good match. Like we could do it but it's probably not yeah. going to pan out very well. Yeah. Um, and that sort of scattershot, like it's kind of an old school uh, advertising model where it's just like, get the name out and like, we'll figure it out later. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's just like, it's not, you know, like partnering with creators. It's not like, it's not like running a Super Bowl ad where you're getting like the most impressions possible or your goal is to get the most impressions right. possible. I think with digital media and you do this a lot too, with the work that you do teaching people how to, you know, build um, niche websites and affiliate websites is the targeting. So like yeah. it's it's much better for me to find a brand. If I'm working with like a, a travel creator who is like they're say like a, a mom that travels, um, you know, you want to find like brands that align with that. Sure. Very specifically. And rather than, you know, trying to reach the widest audience possible. Now there are some creators out there like, you know, Mr. Beast, the, that that dude reaches so many people so he can sell commodities and stuff, right. but there are many creators out there who specialize in in very niche subjects where it might it might make most sense to partner with companies that sell very niche products. Got it. And so I'm curious, have you, have you been to FinCon before? This is my first time. Yeah. Okay. And then do you know many people here? Uh, there are a few. Well, I knew you were coming here. There's another dude who I know who's um, who's going to be here, and he runs a actually a pretty big agency representing a lot of financial YouTube creators. Oh, okay, and he's doing a talk. So, yeah, I think those are the, <laughs> you. You two are the only people that I I've spoken to. There are people yeah. who I like. I know your partner Carl, mm -hmm. but I've never met him. Sure, it's like I I have a parasocial relationship with yeah, Carl yeah. from <laughs> listening to your podcast. Yeah, yeah. so. Oh, I reached out to there again other people who I've heard of. Like you had Diane uh yeah, Miriam. Miriam on your podcast. I actually reached out to her on the app and oh, okay. I I'd, I'd heard her on your show sure. and then she was in like a 
she was on a uh, uh, a webinar with uh, Jess from the Fineers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Recently, oh, cool, cool. I'm talking about SloFi and, and all of that. Got so. it. I'm into that stuff as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a perfect Venn diagram yes. here. Okay. So my question is, how are you going to you know, find the creators that could be a good match for you? Do you have any strategy to find those people and talk to them and tell them what you're doing? Or are you more on the brand side? Actually, both. So we'll take them one at a time. Yeah. Creators, how are you going to hook up with them? I think with creators, for me, it's... It's more or less, you know, just kind of having casual conversations. Like I've met a few who say, yeah, I have like a YouTube channel. And then yeah. just my curiosity kicks in and I just start asking them, like, how long have you been doing it? Do you make content consistent? It's kind of asking these like screening questions to sure. see. Because a lot of people will say like, yeah, I, I do YouTube, but then you post like once every few months and sure. whatnot. And that's no disrespect to them. It's just that, you know, of course, like I'm trying to work with people who are yeah. kind of like established in that in that space at least in terms of creating content consistently. Um, and so, yeah, with creators too, even with what I'm doing, I'm also not trying to build like this gigantic agency. Right. Cause it's just me right now. And so I'm, I'm kind of being a little bit more particular. Like I work with three creators right now, one who's in real estate, one who's in travel, and then one who's in professional sports, specifically covering the NBA. Mm -hmm. um, but I think like, I think at most that I can handle and give like the kind of personal attention that, mm -hmm. um, you know, would be best for them and best for me with not more than like 10 people. Sure. Know? Because again, I want to have that like one-to-one -one type of contact with, with them. And then also having those conversations with, with the brands. Cause there's a lot of back and forth that happens either through email or calls that yeah, I have to conduct. For sure. And I don't know if it, I, we don't have headphones here, but, um, don't touch the table just in case uh, the microphone picks oh, okay, up. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, sometimes I do interviews and people are like banging, banging on the on table the, yeah. and it's like, oh, please. But um, I remember hearing an interview that like Tony Robbins did on a podcast and he kept banging on the table. He yeah, was yeah. like so energetic about something. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta you wave your arms around. Yeah, yeah, it's too much. So, okay. As far as um, the creators, so you ask a few screening questions, just conversations, and as you talk to more people, like they might not be a good match, but they remember you and they're like, oh, my friend John may be able to help you out, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So for the brands, do you have a specific approach to tell them about what you're doing? Yeah, so I have media kits for these creators. And one thing that I did very specifically with that media kit, the last page has pricing. Okay. And that either terrifies brands right. away or they're like, mm, I'm intrigued. Let's talk more. Sure. You know, I think with anything, this is just my personal philosophy, like putting the pricing out there and, and getting a sense of whether or not, you know, somebody has the budget to work with you is, is good from the get go. Yeah. Rather than just like, Hey, let's get into those conversations. I know I get it. Like people are very sensitive about money Sure. and it's, it's like a hard conversation to have, but I mean, think about it. Like when you go to Wendy's or something, and that's not a promotion for them, but you have the menu. You know how much yeah. like a junior bacon cheeseburger costs. Yeah. You don't go to Wendy's and 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 haggle for like ninety nine cents yeah. or two dollars, however much it costs now. I got a, I got a great story. So healthcare is just fucked up. Yes. So <laughs> I had to deal with that recently too. <laughs> really? Yeah. So I I was trying to get information on a vasectomy. So I, I don't, there's a guy behind the camera. Uh, so. <laughs> 
he's getting to know me a lot, a lot better now. I'm getting to know you better too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was trying to get a little more uh, info about a vasectomy. Yeah. And people look it up, you know, Google image search it if you don't know what it is. And then you can, you can um, figure, figure out what I'm talking about here. Yeah. But, but anyway, I was going to go in for a consult and we have like a high deduct. This is deep in the weeds of insurance, but we have a high deductible plan. Unsure of like what's exactly covered because it's a high deductible um, HSA plan. And basically I was going to go in for the consult, but I called the doctor's office to see how much the con like if the consult was going to be covered or not and they couldn't tell me at all yeah. and the, the thing is with the with that particular doctor i think they said he's done over a thousand vasectomies over like many years uh-huh. and surely they have a fucking clue like ballpark <laughs> it could be like 50 to 200 dollars or yeah. anything but they were like who knows he could code it and it depends on the order of the the codes and the blah 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 so anyway it's it's like that and that's one thing on my media kit we're tying it all together folks don't yeah. worry <laughs> the the media kit uh, that i have uh you know one thing i don't get asked for it too often but i don't have pricing but you're right it's good just to be transparent and it's like this is a fit or it's a, not a fit at all like you exactly. know right away well, so i, I was like just, that i also was just talking to uh, a woman who represents an agency outside like literally right before i walked up here to record this podcast with you and you know we were talking about pricing and, and and i was telling her that part of my strategy with that is to put it out there and also see what the market looks like because it's not like we can't adjust our pricing as well right because we know also just the the times that we're in there might be a recession coming and so budgets are are rolling back and and some marketing sure you know uh in-house marketers or even agencies might not have the same amount of spend that they had the last few years during the pandemic um so you know it's just getting that sense of like what what is it what what's the market like right now because we might find out like oh hey yeah this this is actually like too cheap you should be right. charging more yep. or if you find out hey this is too expensive then maybe we'll you know we'll figure out a way to like roll back prices or figure out other other packages you know i really think of ad inventory now is just like it's just similar to creating like any other product except you're just making it up in your mind like rather than like right. creating a physical product that you give somebody to touch like if i was selling somebody this microphone you have to you have to like think about the design of it and whatnot i think about the design of ad inventory but just it's very theoretical sure. in terms of like hey what are like the rights what rights do you have with this content like can the brand reuse the content for pay-per-click ads or is it only restricted to the youtuber's channel or the podcaster's podcast things like that it's it's fun it's like there's there's just like an element of creativity to it that i think like if i met myself 15 years ago he would be confused as to why I'm like working in advertising and marketing, <laughs> but it's, it's a similar kind of creativity that yeah. I was using when I was doing content early on in my career. Perfect segue. So let's talk about uh, some of the content that you have worked on in the past and talk about some of your travels and stuff like that. So yeah, what kind of work did you do before? We don't know each other super well, like yeah, yeah, we yeah. were on the show. So yeah, like what kind of content stuff were you doing before and how's that uh, sort of shifted over the years and matured? Yeah. Yeah. Also, too, the last time we did this, like I was asking you most of the questions. Yeah, right. so yeah. the, the the tables have turned this time around. Um, yeah. So I started out my career in journalism. I actually covered the NBA 
I worked for the Sacramento Kings like it was my first professional job <laughs> I guess yeah. you could say I started there as an intern in their digital department when like social media was just getting really? off the ground wow. I remember being in the office and my boss telling me hey like sign up to this uh, service and then follow our account it's called Twitter <laughs> like they were, we were just that's yeah. how old I am like yeah. don't let like my Asian-ness fool you yeah. like, I actually am <laughs> Much older than I, than I appear. <laughs> yeah, how old are you? Like forty-seven. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually like sixty-seven. Yeah. No, I'm like thirty-five. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I was there at the beginning. Like I started there, just getting started with Twitter. Instagram didn't even exist. Yeah. We were still on MySpace at the time. All you know, right. we were posting stuff on MySpace. YouTube was 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 in existence, but not to like. I think at that it's time it was yeah. it was still more about like you know, cats playing pianos and stuff and memes rather than like the amazing content that people sure. are creating these days. Um, so I did that for like the first few years of my career was actually like, I basically like an early creator myself because I worked on a blog that covered the Sacramento Kings yeah. and we covered the team. There's not much, there's not much local media there that covers the team. So we were able to get in there and really like uh, build a name for ourselves doing that. It also helped that we had an affiliation with ESPN gotcha. at that time. And so that gave us a lot of credibility to go in the locker room, talk to players, talk to coaches and whatnot. Okay. Um, and then from there, like I, I took a, I pivoted in my career, but into something like kind of adjacent. Like I worked in entertainment marketing. I moved to Las Vegas and worked for this hospitality company that okay. runs like a bunch of nightclubs and restaurants on the strip and elsewhere worldwide and so i was able to leverage my experience talking to like high profile basketball players into like talking to musicians and artists like i've inter I, I was lucky enough to interview people like Questlove and yeah dj jazzy jeff wow. in that job yeah um so yeah and then but that was kind of like my first four way foray into marketing i did that for a year and then then the traveling thing came into play and i took like this long my first long-term trip in 2016 where i just like backpacked around europe for like seven and a half months gotcha. bouncing from country to country and then from there like i kind of wanted to keep that going so i kind of spent the ensuing years trying to crack the code of becoming like a digital nomad yeah and so i i lived in like a couple different countries while working remotely temporarily gotcha. like places like colombia for five months and then also um i lived in indonesia i went to bali which is a big like nomad hub yeah. uh, for like six months before the pandemic and then the pandemic happened and then um you know stayed back here right. in california well i was in california where i'm originally from and then as you alluded to i moved to tulsa oklahoma this year yeah and um Gotcha. Ended up going there and doing this Tulsa remote program. So, what's your heritage? I'm Filipino. Yeah. Okay, so, and I'll have to introduce you. I have some uh, friends, JJ and Ray, also oh, okay. fellow Filipino folks. It's funny, mostly Filipino people I talked to uh, today. But <laughs> so, what did your family think about you, like leaving sort of the corporate career and then traveling Europe? Any friction with that? No, I had. Not at all. I feel very lucky, like speaking of being of Filipino heritage, Asian American heritage, there is a tendency, I think, for like older generations. And I can understand why they feel sure. this way. But to to be like, no, you have to have this really high paying job, like work as a doctor or 
you know, for most Filipino women, I have many classmates I went to high school with, or their parents told them, you're going to be a nurse and yeah. work in the ER. And for me, my parents were never that way. Like, I feel very lucky that they've always encouraged me to go and do whatever I want to do and sure. makes me happy. And at the same time, I think there's lessons in that too, because it hasn't been like the easiest, yeah. easiest like road. You know, there've been many times where I've just wanted them to say, to tell me what to do, but they're like, nope, if you're going to go and do your <laughs> own thing, like you have to figure it out. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. That, that's kind of been like the blessing from, from them. Any siblings? No, I just me. I do have a half sister. My dad was married. Sure, it, he had his uh, his first wife. He's married to, and she actually lives in the in the Philippines. Okay, so yeah, I, I when I go to the Philippines and visit, like I now go and see her, connect with her. Gotcha. Her, her son is actually like closer in age to me. Oh, really? Which is okay. Interesting. Yeah, he's is... like in his mid twenties. Got it. Okay, cool. So not too much friction. And then how was it going? Like you mentioned, there were some struggles. Like, did you save up a bunch of money and you knew you had like a seven month runway or like how, how was it? Were you working part time when yeah. you were in Europe? I was very, so I'm a very frugal person. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that's why FinCon is a good fit for me. I'm sure. looking forward to meeting more like five people here. Um, but I've always been like a very frugal person. And I tell people that traveling actually can be cheaper than living <laughs> yeah. stateside here in, in this in the US yeah. and in Canada. Really. You know, like I mentioned some of those places that I went to. You go to like Colombia, you go to Bali and the US dollar is worth more there. At the same time I do want to say as well to to have like some awareness about that the privilege and the advantage that you have like it's right. honestly caused a lot of tension in me at times where i wonder like am i actually contributing to the place or am i just causing like unnecessary inf inflation and gentrification here and right you know i i you get depending on who you talk to like you get a certain perspective yeah you were you mentioned uh mexico city when we talked before yeah. and i've heard that too like it's a pretty big hub for digital nomad types or people escaping from like expensive places like california and they're like Oh yeah, we'll shoot down to uh, Tijuana or whatever. Yeah. So, so yeah, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because you did you spend time in Mexico City? Yeah, I, I went there for ten days actually, and I hung out with a friend. By the way, too, like another thing that I'm working on is I'm doing like I'm gonna start a YouTube channel. It's not launched yeah. yet, so unfortunately I can't promote it. Yeah, yeah. Here when this comes out, well, maybe it will be launched by the time. I don't know when this podcast comes. out. I don't out. know either. Yeah. If it if it does come out, if if it is, and we'll I'll share the link with you. Cool. And put it in there but i spent time with ironically like another creator like yourself who i had on the podcast he and i became friends and then he okay. invited me to to just cool. stay with him wherever he was yeah. he's a nomad too and he's from the states and he moved to mexico city got and it. so i got to see what his life was like just living there as like an american foreigner he moved into like a, a very like mexican like local neighborhood he's like the only white guy like right. in this neighborhood which is wow. so cool yeah and he's learning spanish he just got engaged to his his partner um and so i got to see that side of mexico city of what it looks like to live as a um as as a local there as, cool. a, as a foreigner who now is becoming integrated as as a local there and it's an amazing place it's very european like mexico city it feels very much like Barcelona, Madrid, sure. but with like hints of LA, like Northeast LA. Yeah. You know, like it's cool. I, I loved it. I love the fact that you could just walk around everywhere. And of course, if you love Mexican cuisine, there are 
yeah. tacos everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have to turn over the booth here in a few minutes. So I want to start wrapping up. So you, you said, so you did a lot of cool stuff. You traveled around, you were in Colombia for a little while, which that's probably like four podcast episodes worth of information. But yeah. um, you're, you're in Tulsa. So why did you move to Tulsa? It doesn't sound like a place where yeah. people are like, oh man, yeah. we love the hiking yeah. and the, the food. Like, I don't even know the, no offense to the four people in Tulsa. That <laughs> listen, no, I mean but. like Tulsa... So Tulsa is interesting. There are these programs that have sprouted up around the country during the pandemic that are luring remote workers to move there yeah. and offering them a nice little incentive. It's not really little. It's a pretty good good incentive, yeah. at least enough to cover a substantial amount of your living expenses while you live there at least for a year. And so Tulsa yeah. actually was one of the first. I had heard about this program in 2018 before the pandemic. Yeah, I've heard. I heard of it then too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and since the pandemic, it's really like sprouted and, and grown. And so it's this program called Tulsa Remote. Um, and you, the big incentive is like $10,000. Got and it. So you apply. My process is that I, I just like I found through a lot of the friends and people that I met there, they, most people just apply to it on a whim, not expecting anything <laughs> of it. And then next thing you know, they get accepted into the program and they, they move there. Yeah. And their lives are totally different for it. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. And the thing is, um, I mean, I, I like uh, just different places all over the country. And I've, I've actually been to all 50 states, one of the oh, fun cool. facts about me. But yeah, like even, you know, s- small towns or places you wouldn't expect to in- enjoy. I'm like, this is great. I could see living here. Yeah. I don't know how long, right? But, but in theory, I'm like, oh, this is not so bad. So, you know, I was making fun of Tulsa a little bit. Yeah. But, <laughs> But I'm sure it's great. And the thing is, like, what did the cost of living, what town were you in in California? And then what did the cost of living go down to, like, just percentage-wise? Yeah, the ballpark? I was in, like, the San Francisco Bay Area. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't think yeah. I really need to talk much about how much it costs to live out there because everyone yeah. knows it. I think you're buying fixer-uppers there for, like, a million dollars. I had Insane. a friend who bought, like, a townhouse. Her and her husband bought a townhouse for, like, 900000 in <laughs> in um in in the Bay Area. So... Obviously, like Tulsa's, it's much cheaper, uh, much more affordable. Yeah. But yeah. Like, at, what's, what's your rent there? Can you share that? Well, I actually, so being the frugal person, that I, I moved in with uh, another Tulsa remoter. So he reached out to me. There's like a community Slack group cool. for everybody. You can get connected with other members in, in yeah. Tulsa in the Tulsa remote program. And he reached out to me and asked me, like, are you looking for a room? I wasn't going to. I was actually going to just get my own apartment. But being the frugal person that I am, and plus I thought about maybe buying a house. I felt like I think it would just be better to like move into this place. At least I only have to furnish a room. I don't have to furnish furnish an entire yeah. apartment. And so I paid like eight hundred dollars a month for everything. Yeah, that that's for the room. That's that's utilities, also utilities, internet. internet, and it's a big house. Like we live in a three bedroom, two bath house in a nice neighborhood close to uh, the river. Okay. Actually, and it's super close to this amazing park that was also built by the same, basically like the same guy who's funding the Tulsa Remote Program. He okay. built this park there. It's a big tourist attraction called the Gathering Place. Gotcha. And it is so interesting too because I mean, it's, it's cyclical, right? Or yeah. I think it's cyclical as far as um, you know the popularity of a city. So it's cheap in Tulsa. They're trying to get people there. Cool people are going there. Like it could shift. So in like. I mean, I don't think you're 
I don't know if you're going to stay there, but like in say 10 or 20 years, it could be like, oh yeah, there's like this really cool stuff going on in Tulsa because mm-hmm. it was way cheaper than all these other expensive yes. cities. Like Colorado is pretty expensive. I used to live in uh, Bozeman, Montana. It's insanely expensive. I had a lot of friends that had to move out because they couldn't afford what the rent was going up to. Yeah. Um, that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's kind of kind of crazy. So do you think you'll stick around at Tulsa much? Or? Uh, I don't know yet. I'm not fully decided yet at this time. Um, I'm, I am coming up on the year. They ask for like, you know, a one-year commitment sure. for you. And they, they pay out that disbursement in installments, monthly installments. Um, so I haven't really made a decision quite yet at this time. But I think like Tulsa, what they're trying to do is they're trying to make it like the new Austin. Okay. Like it's very, I, I haven't been to Austin myself, but I think the vibe that they're going for is very similar you know, I think you would like Tulsa because there's a ton of breweries there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have like a good home, uh, you know, brewery scene, beer scene. There's good arts and culture there. They had just opened up like this Bob Dylan uh, music center out there. Oh, okay. And there's also amazing history in Tulsa as well with like the Greenwood District, which was known as like, it was home to like Black Wall Street, which was like a thriving community oh. of African-American people who, gotcha. you know, were were building something for themselves until like the Tulsa massacre about a hundred years ago, which is like a whole other, like I'm not a historian. So I think that, but it's very interesting like to go there and see the history. There's, there's important American history that happened in Tulsa. And so it's cool that they're drawing in people to kind of revitalize the city. I guess the downsides is if you don't want to, if you don't like to drive (laughs) like I do, like you have, you kind of have to have a car. To yeah, get yeah. everywhere and sure i i don't have yeah. a car i just take uber and yeah bike around from places you know from, from point a to point b but yeah that is interesting well and i was gonna say so many places like you just gotta have a a car or else yeah. you can't get around like yeah colorado is the same like you exactly. need a car basically yeah unless you live like in a specific neighborhood although there's a bunch of people that live in my town and they try to bike everywhere but I don't feel safe on the road so much. Yeah, exactly. I feel that way too. I'm like walking around. I'm like the only person walking around Tulsa. Yeah. (laughs) You're just like, I probably should get into a car here instead of, uh, instead of walking here on foot. So we do have to yield our time coming up. So John, where can people find you? We'll be able to put links so you don't have to like spell it out. Okay. Yeah. People, you guys can find me like on Twitter, twitter.com. Well, I would, yeah. you didn't tell me how to <laughs> Twitter. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram, uh, my website as well. Entrecreator sure. media. Cool. Um, if you're interested, if you are a content creator and, you know, trying to figure that out, I could be happy to, to chat with you. And uh, yeah, I also have a personal website too, which we sure. can link to. Cool. And that's just kind of like more, it's all, it's kind of random. There's just all kinds yeah. of topics there about lifestyle and travel and, and stuff. All so the stuff you're into. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, John. It's been awesome to uh, catch up with you here. And I guess we'll uh, see you around here. Yeah. Thanks so much, Doug. Appreciate it. And yeah, that's it. We'll catch you on the next episode here. And uh, thanks a lot. Cool, that was fun.